0: Foot Candle Films. Film news and reviews from two guys who really like movies.
1: This episode is brought to you by the Foot Candle Film Society. For a schedule of upcoming screenings and membership information, visit the Society's website at www.footcandle.org.
0: Hello, everyone, and welcome to Foot Candle Films here on the Mesh.tv podcast network. My name is Alan Jackson. Along with me is Chris Fry. We serve as co-directors of the Foot Candle Film Society, co-directors of the Foot Candle Film Festival. What else are we co-on, Chris? Anything else? Is that oh, pretty much it? Sure.
2: <laughs> that, that, that's a lot. I mean...
0: We cohabitate the same office building. We
2: do live in the same office building. We have
0: co-joining offices next to each yes. other. it's yes. a lot of co's involved in what we do. But uh, today we're just talking about the film and movie side of things that we do. Uh, This is foot candle films where Chris and I get together and we review some new films. We've got two in particular. We're going to be reviewing for you today, as well as talking about some upcoming films that we're interested in and going to be watching out for. And as always, we give some recommendations at the end of the episode of films we think are worth your time and going to check out online or some other way accessible to you. Chris, today we have two films we're going to be reviewing um, a little bit on pol- not quite polar opposite ends of the spectrum, but just very, very different films, both in scope, style, everything else. We, But both of them from some pretty uh, pretty big-name directors, pretty well-renowned directors. True. First up, we will be exploring, uh, revisiting, I guess you could say, the planet of Pandora. Isn't that the planet where they are? Yes. Yeah, or moon or something. It's like something, right?
2: It, it, I believe it is a... It's a planet. It's a planet planet
0: of Pandora. Yes. As we review the latest from James Cameron, Avatar, The Way of Water. Then we'll be moving on to the latest from director Sam Mendes, his film Empire of Light, starring Olivia Colman. So those will be the two films we review. Then we'll have some news to share. Most importantly, it's not even just going to be news. It's going to be trailers we're talking about for some new films as we dig deep into our trailer tapas. Uh, giving you a little more soul about some films that are coming up in the coming months that we're excited about, or at least curious about. Then we'll move on to our recommendations at the end of the episode. So, Chris, we've got uh, two kind of big films, one big in terms of budget, yes, length, um, spectacle, everything. And then the other one I think I'm interested in talking about as well, too. But let's get through this first one first. First up, we have the review of Avatar, The Way of Water.
1: What does her heartbeat sound like? Mighty.
0: (laughs) Chris with Avatar colon The Way of Water. We have a three-hour epic featuring... Your favorite character in mind, Jake Sully, who we all remember from the first Avatar movie, correct? Yeah, he was in a wheelchair. That was the main guy, right? Yeah. Okay.
2: Marine dude. Yes. Yeah.
0: And he lives with his newfound family formed on the extrasolar moon, which okay, I Okay, cool, so it is a moon. It is okay. a moon, Pandora. Gotcha. Uh, once a familiar threat returns to finish what had previously started, Jake must work with Natiri in the army of the Navi race to protect their home. This is director James Cameron return to the world of Avatar from several years back that made a bajillion dollars is still considered one of the highest grossing movies of all time. I think worldwide it is the highest grossing movie. Uh, Not necessarily domestically, I don't think, but I think definitely on the worldwide scale. Um, This one has already creeped into that top 10 International, domestic gross. Uh, so there will be more avatars, Chris. Go ahead and just preface it. I'll review with that.
2: This no, was no. the highest grossing film of 2022.
0: Yeah. Um, is it considered? Yeah, the one released in 2022. Because it was, yeah, yeah, yeah sure. True. Uh, director James Cameron, again, writes the screenplay along with several others. Uh, uh, we're starring Sam Worthington playing as Jake Sully, Zoe Saldana as his uh, wife, I guess that's Natiri. Mm hmm. And then Sigourney Weaver playing an interesting role of Kiri that we can talk about maybe a little bit in the film. Um, Chris. Yes. I seem to recall I did not go back to our archives and listen to our review of the first Avatar but we did discuss it on the show. We did review it. I seem to recall you and I not being terribly high on it but <laughs> okay. we also did not hate it. It was not one that we've were outwardly negative on best i can recall okay at least i'm speaking from my own perspective i i found the first avatar an interesting spectacle something worthy of seeing but not much else beyond the look and feel of what this what the film was showing on the screen um given that where i was with the first one i cannot recall where you were with the first one i guess i just posed the question to you there's definitely spectacle in this movie. Do you feel like there's more to this film than the spectacle or were you, would you have been fine with a 10 minute highlight reel on a theme park ride version of this, this movie
2: through the magic of the internet? I am blessed to be able to pull up my review from 2009, December 22nd on letterboxd.
0: And we did, we were a podcast back then, right? Absolutely. Okay. So we did do it. I
2: believe so. Uh, Here's the review. The film gets two and a half stars just for the visuals and groundbreaking nature of the tech used to create it. Did I enjoy watching it? Yes. It was pure cinema escapism, but the movie was so empty. Bad dialogue, predictable script, hollow attempts at environmental moralism. I could go on, but you've probably heard all these gripes before. Too bad. A somewhat decent story plot could have elevated this film from being pure spectacle to a landmark film. A sci-fi film... Franchise that could stand beside Star Wars and Star Trek. So uh, that was 2009. Here we are now in 2023.
0: So you gave it two and a half stars and it was basically for the spectacle. Correct. Okay.
2: Um, So could I copy and paste that review from 2009 to 14 years later? Here we are in 2023. Yeah, pretty Mm -hmm. much. Um, And I feel like that's for the most part what the filmmakers did with kind of the story. Um, There really wasn't a lot new here, but I can't just say this is a terrible film, kind of like I couldn't in 2009 with the original avatar, simply because this movie, I mean, it does look good. And apparently a lot of the time delay, the 14 years, some of it was spent in trying to get the technology right for shooting underwater and the underwater scenes in this as opposed to something like um, Black Panther, Wakanda forever are way like leaps and bounds way, way better. Um, Probably because I think they literally were some of the motion capturing was doing underwater. So Mm -hmm. it kind of was able to capture some more of that realism or maybe they just threw a lot more money at it. I don't know. Um, But I thought a lot of sequences in this, there's some whale sequences and some of the battle sequences using water. I mean, And they're riding some beasts and stuff, which all of which you see in the trailer, um, or a lot of you see in the trailer. Yeah, it it looks great. And uh, some of the action sequences or the action sequences are kind of impressive. But you mentioned the running time, three hours, 12 minutes. So for it to not feel like what you kind of hinted at being a video game with just sequences Like, you know, the talking are like cut scenes with like, oh, they're leading us to the next point of action. And then you have these big, huge action set pieces, like stuff blowing up. And I I just didn't feel like there was enough original there or anything that couldn't be like it's 14 years later. You mentioned we catch back up with Jake. He's got a family now. So you can think like, okay, this is going to be kind of a family dynamic story. Yes, kids are taken captive. They have to be rescued. The elements, and I'm interested to hear, this is where I'm going to throw it back to you. The elements to me that could have maybe been mine for a little bit more interest ended up just being kind of odd, and mm. maybe things were left on the cutting room floor, or maybe in one of the three additional movies we're going to get from Avatar, maybe we'll see more reasoning. And those are the characters of Spider and Kiri, I believe. Kiri. Yeah, Kiri, mm-hmm. which is the new Sigourney Weaver character that she plays like a little girl. Um, those just kind of didn't really Work And it seems like they were trying to do some stuff, but they ended up being kind of too surface for me to really give it credit. So what, what are your thoughts on avatar way of water?
0: Well, you started your review with the phrase copy and pasting. (laughs) I'll just copy and paste everything you just said. Okay. I mean, I'm, I'm on the same page with you about this. I, um, it is a beautiful film and I can't say I was ever quote bored watching it. Okay. Okay. There was enough visually to keep me engaged. And I will admit it was, the the pacing was I thought pretty pretty brisk and good where I never felt like it was ever floundering, it never like, you know, if there was an action scene and it wasn't an action scene that went on too long where I was just like, "Oh my god, let's get get through this." Everything <laughs> paced okay. I'm like I it kept my attention. But it really was because of the spectacle. Sure. And the plot was so Pouring. I mean, it's just so lifeless. Yeah. I mean, it just.
2: I mean, the enemies are the same as they were in the first. The I mean, kind of
0: the come on, marines. Well, and I'll tell you, the first fifteen minutes of this, this film really kind of frustrated me because I felt okay. like you know it's been that so many years since I saw the original Avatar. I've Did you rewatch it. the first? Okay, no, no. So I'm already confused within five minutes. Okay. You've got to understand, James Cameron, People, if people saw the original, not everybody has seen it multiple times since this viewing. You threw us back into the water with intended, <laughs> with this. Sure. And I'm confused right away. I mean, right away, it's like, okay, so the Jake Sully character, which I get, you know, I, I understand. Yes, I remember at the end of this avatar, he kind of chooses, chooses to, to stay with the Navi. But right. there's still a human body of jake somewhere right well no because
2: i guess they just i don't know what they do burn it or whatever but he he decided to put his full he put everything, his full thing
0: yeah into the which is what happens also with quaritch the right, bad guy right they right. put his whole because he did die in the first movie it's not a spoiler he's in the he's in the trailer i mean he's in this movie Stephen right. lang Basically, he's just a voice, the whole movie. Actually, right. Sam Worthington's just a voice, the whole movie. Because
2: same thing, he yeah. has become fully naughty. Yeah. So
0: these two are gone right. in physical, like human sense. Right. They are now just these living avatars. Yes. Embodying the thoughts and, and memories of these two people.
2: Okay. One One, because he chose to do that, that being Jake. <coughs> and then the other one... Because he's dead and he's, he's dead. basically just brought back to, to life. Say,
0: it was yeah. like a failsafe they had in place to say, okay, yeah. Because we see, we see Stephen Lang for like two minutes on screen.
2: Yeah.
0: Basically summing up for us what was going on and why. Um, there's kids involved, which you mentioned the two kids and yeah. I don't quite understand <laughs> how either of those fit into the major plot and what their purpose is. So let me, um, let me try to
2: elucidate a little bit. So Sigourney Weaver's character in the first movie, um, Spoiler, if you haven't seen it, but I don't know why you'd be listening to this episode if you hadn't at least seen the first Avatar, she dies. Um, But in her dying...
0: It has been 12 years, It has been.
2: Well, yeah. 14 years. So she, her character dies, but somehow she was pregnant. Okay? Okay. So, and she, her Avatar basically is kind of dead, but is being kept alive by the planet because she kind of became one with the planet because she'd kind of like synced mm. up with the planet through her magical tail that all mm. Navi have. But anyways, yeah. her, she was still able to have this baby and the baby is Kiri. So that's why the baby has Sigourney Weaver's voice because technically,
0: right. you know, so, okay. So I understood it was Sigourney Weaver's character's daughter. Correct. We don't know who the father is. Correct. Which I think is, Something they're trying to build for future.
2: But that just is irritating. I know, it is. That is just, to me, well, irritating slash dumb, because not only do we have questionable, not questionable, but curiosity around the fatherhood of Kiri or the parent, but then with Spider, all we know is the dad.
0: Well, Spider is a young and we don't, human And we boy. don't know the mom. We don't know the mom. <laughs> uh, Spider, played by Jack Champion, is the only real human that we see from wide, wide swaths of this movie. Right. And he is, you know, a fully human character on the Pandora and everywhere else that they end up with
2: terrible dreads. Yeah.
0: He, he reminded me of, uh, do you you ever see the show land of the lost? Yes. It was a little Chaka. (laughs) Yeah. Reminded me of him a little bit. Yes. Um, Chaka. So that character is, we find out related to someone else in the movie. And we you know, understand that he's kind of been raised now on Pandora with the Navi. So anyway, yeah, it's, it's interesting questions it raises about – I think it has some interesting things it could have done with the whole parentage and, 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 and what it means to kind of grow up and be part of a different culture and be exposed to your – and I think they tiptoe around it. You get moments where you think, oh, maybe they're going to try to do something interesting here, and they never do. So – it's, I, it's I, odd on both fronts.
2: I, I, the, the character of spider just really came. And I do not blame this on mm. the actor, Jack champion having to play spider. I think he did the best with what he had, but just ended up being irritating. It was like nothing but an excuse, especially by the end of the film for a sequel. Yeah. Whereas when the first movie, the way it's kind of contained, it's like, okay, that's the end. Well, granted, he didn't know if he's going to have enough money to make all these sequels. Cause he knew they were yeah. going to be expensive. But now it's kind of like oh, but just it's kind of like yeah, who care? Because the character of Spider is made to be kind of without giving things away, kind of wishy washy a little bit. He's with the Navi, and he's taken captive, and then he has to question loyalties. And it's just That's also the that were really all kind I think, of very
0: did not flow very well. It's like right. I think we're supposed to believe certain things, and by the end, I mean we do see him take an action that does. You're right, set up a future sequels, which again, I got more disappointed by that. <laughs> Not that it's setting up. I mean, again, it. it's a typical second movie in Should- a franchise. Yes, the second movie always sets up a third movie. Because if you've made enough money to make the second, chances are you feel like there's enough to make the third. So you go and tease something in the third. But
2: there was I like no it. wonder as far as what was going to happen in the third. Well, that's
0: the thing. It's like now I have absolutely no doubt what's going to happen in the third movie. Okay, <laughs> right. so instead of the water side of the planet, now we're going to go to another colony that has another element that they deal with. I think I've think
2: heard the- that specifically to be fire so
0: the fire people and it's all fire stuff and the fire animation is going to be amazing and that's going to be it that's (laughs) going to be the whole movie so it's like yeah i the formula just kind of started to click in really hard with this film and
2: yeah first avatar was forest this one's water yeah you know oddly enough that animated series that was on Nickelodeon, completely different Oh yeah, the other Avatar. The other Avatar. Didn't they also have elements of like fire? So it's like Mm -hmm. they're kind of not, they're not copying. It's completely different, but like just the element whole thing, it seems like, I don't know. Well,
0: the thing is, this would all be different if I felt like we were given enough to care about the characters in it. I feel like Jake, is it Jake Sully? Am I saying that right? Yeah. Yeah, Jake Mm -hmm. Sully. It's a pretty Cut and dry, bland, very paint by numbers character. Sure. In this film, interesting in the first Avatar because he was, he was
2: struggling with he being a disabled a, a, veteran. Exactly.
0: And yeah. Uh, we we kind of see that he took the role of the Avatar as kind of a a way to fulfill some needs he had. And, and, sure. And, and his disability felt like it was hampering him. Here we we got none of that because he's he's just a running around a blue Na'vi guy <laughs> and he's a super soldier guy, yeah. and. You know and we we meet this family he's got now, which I mean I've always liked Zoe Saldana, and I think she's probably the best acting performance, like motion capture acting in this film. She's always it's just I don't know the way she turns very feral at times mm. and then she's also tries to be motherly, it at least showed some range. it was just kind of interesting to watch her, but the kids.
2: I had trouble telling them apart. Well,
0: that's problem number one. And the names
2: are kind of complicated. And if they don't spend enough character development time, then you're like,
0: Well, look, and I can say this this?" without being terribly spoilery, but when we're introduced to the family at the beginning and we see how many kids there are, and we see that two of them are very similar, and we don't really spend a lot of time with one of them throughout most of the film, it's like, this is this family seems to be custom made set up for there to be a tragedy somewhere along the line, which is, I felt that was very telegraphed from like the first scene. It's like, Oh, let's have a little flashback scene with one child. Very poignant moment. And then let's just introduce you to all the other kids. And, There's so many kids. It's like, yes, yes. you know, we have some room here. Some kind of, of which
2: aren't their character. kids. Like they've adopted spider. They've yeah. adopted kid. I'm just like, I, I can't keep up with this. Who, a who's lot. who? And
0: and now granted by the end, they've kind of at least pared it down a little bit, <laughs> but <laughs> I'm sorry. I know that's spoiling stuff. But I didn't say which one. So, you know, that's, a, that's a secret. Sure. Um, I felt like that's, it was all just played for emotion. There was no connection. To any of these characters, um, yeah, unfortunately, I just felt like you know, character development is just not anything that James Cameron seems to be interested in doing here. Korich, the bad guy, there's so much opportunity to do something interesting with the fact that he is now an avatar in this body of a creature that he's kind of grown to hate, and all these he, right. memories, but right. yet. How do you deal with that? No, he gets off the operating room table and he's like, oh, cool. I get to go kill Jake Sully again. And that's it.
2: Well, that's and okay. So, right. And I think there is something there because it's like, yeah, like you said, there's potential because here's this guy spent the whole first movie hating this race of people. Now he is one. He has yeah, to be because otherwise he'd be yeah. dead. Now he is one. So how does he come to terms with right. that? And like you can he investigate doesn't. that a little bit or yeah. And he just, or- your sole reason for existence is to is revenge. It's all about revenge of Jake Sully. So what does that, how does that make you feel like that's your whole point? Nobody really cares about all they want is revenge. Like, yeah, there's so many things that feel like they could have been mine more, but instead it's just like me. You know? Right.
0: Well, so, and I mean, I, I, I still, I mean, um, shouldn't we be seeing some effect of Jake? The fact that now he is completely naive, but yet he's still, human at heart. I mean, he still got that human background. Right. And I don't know, it's just none of that seemed to matter at all. It's like again, and and I'm I never like a review that says, "Well, the movie should have done this or should have done that," because that's not our choice. We didn't make the movie. Sure. We're just being presented what the director wanted to give us. But I just felt like you know, if for a movie that lacks so much depth and lacks so much emotion and lacks so much development of characters, there were so many opportunities to do it. And, and it just chose not to, it, 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 aired in favor of the spectacle, which granted was impressive, sure, but just not enough for me to care for three and a half hours. Um,
2: I'll say it. some of the new things that they, and well, some of the new characters other than, yeah, the kids were confused me. I like, I won't spoil anything, but there are, <laughs> There are two people that are easily confused and one of them does pass away. And I couldn't remember at the end of it. I was like, wait, now, which one died? Yeah. Like, because I could, I couldn't sure. keep it straight. I had to ask my wife. She's like, "What well, was this one?" I remember? Because I was like, oh, right. Because that happened. So, but new characters that I thought were actually interesting additions. Edie Falco playing General Ardmore. (laughs) I liked her. This is Carmella, for those of you who may not remember her on The Sopranos or recognize the name right off the bat. But she got to play kind of the Quaritch role from the first film. A little bit. It was a little
0: jarring when she came on the screen. I was like, whoa, okay. So that's the role she's going to go into.
2: But I I, I liked it. I enjoyed her. I thought she was good. And she, you know, seemed to be having fun. Um, Something that was really kind of an odd fit for the movie, but still kind of kept my interest it it helped kind of during the third hour or maybe a little bit I guess maybe the, after the second hour so you know, like two and a half hour mark maybe Jermaine Clement kinda of makes an appearance. Mm. Now see here's the thing. I like Jermaine Clement. I'm a big oh, I do too. I'm a big five the Concords fan. And they could like but him well, there provide the Well nothing, but what it what it did do was some of his I don't know, line line delivers the way he kind of like, I don't know, he seemed very aware of the type of movie he was in, Uh, and they didn't make him a villain, but they didn't, like, I don't know, I I found it kind of interesting, and the out-of-placeness of of it actually kind of woke me up a little bit. Well, I mean, yeah, (laughs) I
0: mean, it's fine for waking you up if you're kind of in a trance watching the movie, at least there's somebody you don't expect to see on there. Like, oh, what's
2: he doing here? But at
0: the same time, it's like, okay, well, you've got this guy now. What are you doing with him? And the answer, nothing. No, we're we're going to use him for some cutaway shots occasionally to make you think, is he good? Does he care that we're out there slaughtering <laughs> animals or is he actually into it? Cause he's kind of like, seems to be pretty much encouraging them to use the machinery to go after and kill these animals. I, and, and then there's no humor. Grant, I'm not saying Jermaine Clement has to be used for humor. That's gotcha. not fair, but I mean, then do something with him. It's like, you know, in, in, definitely in that,
2: underutilized you know, potential. Sure.
0: Look, I, I think all the scenes, where where you did not, from the from the spectacle standpoint, I will say. Sure. I do think all the underwater scenes are amazing and beautiful. I think the underwater creatures all looked really amazing. I love the big whale-like creatures mm-hmm. that they have in this movie and the role they play. Sure. I like that a lot. The hunting scene of hunting those creatures as its own little short animated movie is pretty cool. Sure. I mean, it had a lot of cool equipment and gear and weapons and (laughs) water you it was cool i mean but the whole time is you know we're watching people kind of hunt down the creatures that we've kind of grown to like so are we supposed to like that scene are we supposed to enjoy the machismo of it and all the equipment and gear that's being used to do it because it was just super cool but it's being used to hunt down the animals that we just were introduced to and we kind of like um I don't know. That's just to me, a good parable for the whole film. It's like, look at all my cool stuff. Look at all this great stuff we can do on CGI. Don't worry about the characters. It's going to impact. Don't (laughs) worry about where this goes in the story. Just look at the cool stuff. And, you know, Uh, the, the part of the CGI, the animation it still just doesn't work for me. And it may be because of the high frame rate that it's kind of played back Mm. in certain scenes. Okay. It's like a 48, I think frames per second. It's being played back in a lot of theaters. Sure. The actual characters, their faces always look impressive. I think they've got that that technology down. I think hands, other close-ups of things with these creatures. But anytime they're running or moving, it still looks very rubbery, fake CGI to me. It just ticks me out of the movie right away. Okay. <clears throat> so there's still some elements of it that are just not quite there to where I can feel like. Yes, I'm taking this as a true Experience and not just a bunch of computers creating characters on the screen.
2: And you did you know? watch this in 3D. I did. See, I I chose not to. And I wonder now, I remember in the first movie, I was kind of distracted in the first Avatar in 2009. I thought it was visually interested, but I, wonder, I wondered how much of that was just due to the 3D. So yeah. I, I didn't watch it on purpose this time in 3D. And I was still, you know, impressed. So did the, the
0: 3D help with a lot of the... I, I think so. I think the okay. 3D is still impressive. It's still okay. the, one of the only 3D experiences I kind of... I could say I actually looked forward to. Got gotcha. you. I specifically went to a 3D screening. The 3D glasses nowadays are so super light, and I don't even remember I'm wearing them after a few minutes. This The 3D is seamless throughout the whole film. I mean, it didn't impact my viewing at all. I thought it accentuated it. Okay. So I'm kind of worried that if I hadn't watched it in 3D, would I have been (laughs) less enthusiastic with it? I don't know. But Look, the thing is, if you you go to a theme park ride, and I hate using this analogy, but it's kind of where it is. If you go to a theme park ride, I do not hop on a theme park ride looking for a plot. Just show me some cool stuff. mm -hmm. I want the thrill. I want the excitement. And that's great. And I think people could look at Avatar, Way of Water, same way. I just want the spectacle and all that. My thing is it's three hours and 15 minutes. I don't want to be on a theme park ride for three hours and 15 minutes. I, it needs to be kind of show me the spectacle, show me the visual, show me something cool to, to look at. And then, okay, if that's all you got end the ride, let me off. I'm done mm-hmm. for three hours and 15 minutes there had to be more there than spectacle. And I there just wasn't. Well, so.
2: so the video game or this, sorry, theme park ride idea yeah. that really does kind of, Encapsulate, Yeah. I mean, I think that's a perfect, it's, you know, I guess you could say it's a crutch, but in a theme park ride, you don't bond with characters. No. In a theme park ride, you're not expecting a plot. Like you say, you're expecting 15 spectacle. or 20 minutes of a spectacle yeah. to make it worth the wait in line. Mm-hmm. So yep. that's what I felt. Yeah. And I think that's the problem with the, And And just like with a the theme park ride, you don't really remember a lot of stuff that happens in it. And you definitely don't remember how it ends. You just know it's over. Yeah. And so, like with this movie, that's kind of like, yeah, there were some fun moments, but yeah, I don't really I remember how it ended actually with this one because it was kind of ground worthy with where they were leading it up for a sequel. Mm-hmm. But in general, there's just like you don't really remember a lot that went on. You're like, yeah, they did some fights, there was some water, there's some whale looking things, and that's kind of it. So yeah, yeah theme park ride, but yeah, not a three hour theme park ride, ride. And then
0: you you, know, you kind of started to allude to the video game cutscenes. I mean, a lot of the scenes still look like video game cutscenes for me which is a little distracting. But I mean, even with some video games that I know my, my sons play, or I've actually kind of experienced a little bit. I've seen some video games where there's some really good character development <laughs> and some good plot lines going on. Sure. So I don't even want to like comparing it to a video game. Cause I think that's a little limiting. I think it's the theme park ride is the closest thing I got. Gotcha. Paper thin plot, paper thin character development. Let's just go for the spectacle and kind of push everything else off to the side. And I felt like that's just what this movie did, even more so than the first one. The first one, I remember with the first one, I was impressed with Spectacle, and I at least thought there was something there plot-wise. The whole concept and conceit of an avatar made it something a little unique. But this one's like, yeah, we're just going to kind of coast on what we set up in the first one. Let's just put it in a new setting, put it underwater, and we're done. Check the box, movie's done. And that's what I felt like we got.
2: And the whole it, so. movie, in the first movie, you have the, the conflict, which is slowly building to a big battle. Mm. In this movie, you have a conflict and it slowly builds to a big battle. So it's, yeah, yeah, it's basically, it's tweaked a little bit, but it is basically the same formula that was in the first movie. So, yeah,
0: yeah, yeah. yeah. So that's Avatar, The Way of Water. It sounds like we're both on the same page. Impressive spectacle, Yes. Visually, is it interesting to watch and see? Yes. Beyond the visuals, is there anything there? And I think, you know, I both feel like, no, not really. Will I'm it very,
2: probably very, get very, nominated very for all. Academy Awards? Probably for visuals so Visual effects. effects. And I would
0: yeah. certainly say, yeah, I think sure. it warrants that. But nothing else. I mean, I just don't think there's anything else there uh, to really get excited about. There's nothing at all enticing me to want to see another one. at all, Or two more. Right. Three was I mean, really nothing. <laughs> yeah. And I don't even know if anything could be said to tell me that the next one could be even different. I mean, what's, what's the, we're going to be different about it at this point. I mean, it's, I, I don't know. I just think, unfortunately, I was in an audience of people, Chris, it was about half full okay. on a Saturday night. And I don't think I've ever sat through a big spectacle blockbuster movie like this as part of a franchise that made so much money. hmm And I felt like the audience didn't care. Mm. They were just there. It's like, I'm just there for the experience. There's no, there was nobody claps. Nobody, I never heard like any visible, like uh, exclamation towards the film, nothing. It's like everybody just kind of sat there Mm. watching it. And then they walked out. Gotcha. It's like, and that's like,
2: you do a theme park ride.
0: (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> yeah, kind of. Well, even during a theme park ride, you still get people cheering sure. and clapping and screaming. But here, it's just—it just seems so lifeless. I mean, the audience felt like the plot is just lifeless and mm. just nothing else there. So, anyway, that is Avatar: The Way of Water. Look, I'm gonna say if you are into the spectacle of films and you love the theater experience, yeah, it's worth watching for the visuals.
2: Yeah, and if you have any interest in seeing it do see go the see theater. it in the theater because sure. it, yeah, it's met, those kind of visuals definitely would look but better. Just don't go in
0: expecting anything more. And look, honestly, I could tell you if you, if you're one of those people that don't mind getting up and leaving in a film, once you've seen like the first hour, hour and a half of this movie, you've got through some of the really cool underwater stuff. Not really a lot there afterwards. True. I feel like, I mean, if you're somebody that really values your time and you don't want to spend three and a half hours in a movie, pay the money, go see the first hour and a half, maybe maybe hour 45, you're going to get the whole experience. There's True. not really anything you're missing if you don't care about the plot while or, or, or watching that. I'm not actively advocating people leave the theater, <laughs> but I'm just saying if that's your whole goal in seeing this film as a spectacle, nothing really changes in three hours' time. <laughs> no. So you've got it pretty early on. All right. All right, it was a little longer than expected on Avatar, but it was a long movie, and it's been 14 years in the making. So I guess there you have to do it. Let's switch gears and talk about our second film review, uh, Empire of Light. By the way, Avatar of Way of Water, still in movie theaters. Yes. Will be for a while. So yes. we are saying go see it. Kind of maybe, I guess, if you're that kind of person that enjoys that. So <laughs> there you go. Uh, Empire of Light by Sam Mendes is our next review. Let's go ahead and uh, listen to a little bit of that.
1: Look around you. This whole place is for people who want to escape. People who don't belong anywhere else. How do you feel? I do you feel a bit numb, I suppose? The world is changing.
2: From Sam Mendes, director of *Skyfall*, *1917*, and *American Beauty*, comes a drama about the power of human connection during the turbulent times. During turbulent times, set in English. All right, let me start that over. <laughs> right,
0: scratch that. <laughs> Try, yeah, that is, that is
2: garbage. It's going to sound very similar, but hopefully it will be read a little better. Okay, coming back in three, two. From Sam Mendes, the director of Skyfall, 1917, and American Beauty, comes a drama about the power of human connection during turbulent times set in an English coastal town in the early 1980s. The action takes place at the Empire Movie Theater and focuses on the lives of two of the employees, Hillary, played by Olivia Coleman, and Stephen, played by Michael Ward. Alan, how did Empire of Light work for you, and do you find it a worthwhile entry into Mr. Sam Mendes's? Uh, overview? Ouvra. Ouvra, since he's done ouvra. he's done several different types of films. Yeah. Two, I mean, I only mentioned Skyfall, but he's actually also done Spectre, I believe.
0: He did Skyfall and Spectre, the two James Bond Daniel Craig movies. He did 1917, mm-hmm. was his last film, right? And did uh, of course American Beauty was the one that kind of brought him on the scene. Road to Perdition, Jarhead. Yeah. Um, so he's done, done a lot of different yeah, types yeah. of stuff. Did he do Revolutionary Road? I believe so. With uh DiCaprio. I I shall check. Yeah. Check that out while I'm (laughs) setting this up. Sure. All right, Chris, I am probably the wrong person to be reviewing this film. Oh, because I'm going to review this film positively for one or two key aspects of the film Hmm. that work maybe a little more for me than they do the general film going public. He
2: did direct revolutionary. Okay. I thought so. And road to perdition. Was that, which one were you questioning? I was
0: questioning revolutionary. Okay. Yeah. Um, this is a film that takes, I'm just going to get my bias out of the way first. Sure. This is a film that primarily takes place in a gorgeous movie theater. Yes. With some exquisite shots shot by Roger Deacons of that movie theater <laughs> and of the projectors showing the films and the lobby. And I could, Chris, I could watch almost two hours of that and be perfectly happy. And I would walk up to this microphone and give it a positive <laughs> review. Okay. So again, I am biased. I'm going to say that, yes, I enjoy this film because there is that aspect of this film that I'm in love with. That being said, is this a good movie? I'm still going to come out and say yes. Okay. I do have some reservations, some things. I've, I, the biggest thing I can say about this film, I think it tries to do too much and it doesn't know how to do any of it to the extent it needs to go. There's a lot of themes that this film's bringing up. There's a lot of themes that I feel like are very on the surface glanced and, and, and touched on and it all couched on this whole love of cinema mm-hmm. that I don't feel the connections there. Mm-hmm. Okay. That being said, this is a beautiful film. The look of it is beautiful. I think the performances are all really super solid. I think Olivia Coleman is really good in this. I mean, she's good in everything, but she's really good here. Um, I liked Michael Ward. I know kind of being introduced to him, not really seeing him in anything else, but he's very good. Toby Jones, very good in this as well. It covers some really interesting topics. But at the end of the day, I'm, I'm left kind of wondering what the sum of that, the parts of the film are. Because I felt like, I mean, I could rattle off all the things that are going on here. Loneliness, mental health, race relations, uh, age, age, uh, romance across different age uh, groups, age, age age gaps, sexual harassment in the office, uh, the riots in England at the time of the 80s. And then all of that and the love of cinema. It's like, okay, there's a lot going on here. All of it, I feel like is so surface, maybe with the exception of the mental health angle. I do think there's a little bit more it has to say with that. But um, but then it tries to tie it all to a bow at the end and say, oh, but the beauty of cinema kind of helps everybody. I'm like, well, I don't know if I quite got that. <laughs> I think that might have been the intent. I feel like there are some scenes or elements missing that kind of helped me bridge that gap a little bit more. But mm. um, overall, though, I, I do like this film. I did enjoy watching it. And I think it's well made, well performed. I just um, I question what it all means in the end. Is that clear?
2: Sure. That makes sense. Sure. Okay. And yeah. this film, so the sequencing, we have reviewed Armageddon time and we've reviewed empire of light. Now afterwards, you know, a couple of episodes afterwards. And to me, Armageddon time, I was struggling with that because it's kind of a reflection back. It's a autobiography, a little bit of the filmmaker, James gray and talks, but it's one of the big conflicts in it is about race and about yeah. privilege and thing. So This film, which is a fiction film, uh, the director, Sam Mendes, also wrote the script for it as well. So, I mean, it takes elements that were happening in London, you know, in in England during this time period. But, yeah, it uses the framework, like you're saying, of cinema to kind of tie things together. For me, I can hear what you're saying, that it was trying to do so much. If it had just tackled, like, racism and immigration and then done the love of cinema thing— maybe that could have worked, but then you tie in kind of the mental illness and the workplace harassment. And there's, it does get a little, a little too much going on, but I think somehow it magically, it works enough. And I didn't feel like Armageddon time to me felt a little false in some, in some aspects. And this felt, even though this was a complete fiction, (laughs) Um, this narrative actually felt more true, mm. if that makes sense. And I think a lot of that may have to do, I mean, the other ones turned around some child performances, which they were good, but just, you know, children acting, yeah. as opposed to you have somebody like Olivia Coleman. you mentioned that, you know, of course she's always good. She is. I think this may be my favorite thing I've ever seen her in because yeah. she got to do some really big outsized moments, yeah. but then her face without saying any dialogue can go through seems like a hundred emotions in the span of like 30 seconds. Yeah. And it's not like little ticks of the eye or slightly smiling and then kind of going blank suddenly. Like, I don't know. It's just, it's really amazing what she can do. And I think just the sheer range that she pulled off on this, in this film to me was just really impressive. Not, I've always liked her, but I was like, yeah,
0: she's good. Well, there's one scene in particular. Um, you talk about the range and you talk about the kind of the more, just watching her face Mm -hmm. and her reactions. There's the scene that I know it's going to be the one, if she gets a nomination, they're probably going to show the clip. It's her in her apartment, kind of at a little bit of a peak emotional moment for her. That's a very big, big role, big part. And that's good. She did really well. It's the moments after that, um, there's a whole sequence where people are trying to get into her apartment. Yes. And there's a banging noise going on in the, I don't know if it was for you and the night you showed it uh, versus the night I showed it, it was thunderous, like Mm. that banging in the theater, like really dramatic And her face and her reaction, kind of preparing for what was going to happen next. And I don't know, it was, it was really good. So she, she, I agree with you completely on her performance. I thought it was really great. Um, Something,
2: something else that I thought was fun and it sounds like weird to phrase it that way, but Getting to see, which was not what, you know, I knew nothing about the film going in um, other than that it was going to be about a cinema, and you know, kind of a love letter to cinema. But Colin Firth playing (laughs) Filth was something that I don't think I've ever seen on screen before. Like normally the type of characters he plays is usually affable, likable guys or maybe a little goofy or something. But he is a jerk yeah. in this film. And I was like, huh. So it's kind of an interesting against type that he was playing. Likewise, also fun to see Toby Jones play somebody who I feel like is against type. Normally, Toby mm. Jones, to me, if not a villain, then usually a angrier, a dour very, person. Or a
0: very eclectic character type of thing. Here, right. he's just a kind of a normal guy. Just he's a, a projectionist. He's a projectionist, loves his job. And he um, ends up
2: being has moments with both uh, Stephen and with Olivia. There's a stair stairway conversation that he has with Olivia. That's really good. And then he has this whole moment in the projection booth with Stephen. Also really good that I don't typically see a Toby Jones type character doing. And it Mm -hmm. was so good. And I was so glad for Toby Jones. I was like, that's awesome for you to have this character. So that those were two things that I wasn't expecting. And then when I saw them in the film, I thought I kind of knew how they were going to be and no, completely against type. So yeah. that was, that made it.
0: We're it was introduced to a whole array of characters working at this empire theater, which is both good and bad. I liked all the characters we were introduced to. I liked the scenes that we had in kind of the employee break room and behind the scenes of the theater. I love this theater being a family, environment for these characters. But I feel like, you know, the movie spends a majority of its time with Hillary, the Olivia Coleman character and with Stephen, the Michael Ward character. And the others are all very uh, just off to the surface, just playing uh, small little roles in their, their development and their relationship. But yet I, I think the movie is trying to say that the theater and this community around the theater and the family inside the theater is kind of what, Helps people survive and move on. I, I just wish if that was the goal, let let's 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 involve the other characters a little bit more. Let's learn a little bit more about them. There's even a scene with with Toby Jones's Norman where, you know, he refers to a son that he has no contact with anymore, and that's kind of just left there and just left hanging. And again, not saying that I, every character needs to have their own big hour long plot line in the movie, but. Again, it just leaves me at the end of the day wondering what what was the point? What 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 was it that tried to stitch all this together? I think Hillary, the Olivia Colman character, her struggles with mental health and how that's affecting her ability to have a relationship with someone. That's a movie. OK, you can make a movie out of that. Right. I think the race relations and the riots going on in England and how that affected this community of people working in this theater, trying to preserve this theater and make sure it stays intact as a, as a quote, beacon of light for this area. That's a movie, (laughs) you know, it's like, and then there's other elements put in the workplace harassment and, and work issues going on within the workplace. That's a movie. It's like, but no, let's do all of it together. And maybe we'll make it all kind of make sense or have something to do with each other at the end. And I, I, I felt like that was a little, it was a flimsy stitching together they tried to do with this film and the storylines. But each individual story was interesting to watch. And again, all of it shot by Roger Deakins as a cinematographer. I could look at any frame of this film and it's just beautiful, beautiful shots everywhere. So it definitely kept me engaged. Um, from a lot of different aspects. It just, I wish at the end of the day I could walk away and say, this is what I got from this film. And it's it's a little tough to do that for me. So,
2: yeah, I think I'm a little more favorable on it uh, than you, but I do agree. I, I can see how some of the different plot threads kind of, kind of weigh it down. And the cinematography by Roger Deakins is definitely a strong point. I mean, yeah, just the glory and the majesty of the old theater. And then also, There's just the use of the frame, which Deacon, of course, is famous for. But he does a lot of wide open spaces because this film is shot such that this is kind of in a coastal town. So you see a lot of expanses with the beach and the frame of the the city skyline with the theater there. And it's featured prominently. And um, it's just it's great. The soundtrack by Trent Reznor and Atticus Ross, I thought was really I mean, those guys, they've been doing soundtracks for movies for a while now. Um, and but, it's just interesting to see them paired with something that's, I mean, but they've, they've done all sorts of different soundtracks. So I thinking, this is probably good.
0: the most traditional score I've heard them do for a film True. that when I saw their names come up in the credits, I was actually kind of like, Oh, okay. I'm a little surprised. Cause I, it's not a film I would have expected their music to go with. This isn't a David Fincher film, girl, right. the dragon
2: tattoo. This yeah. is. This is a
0: very, it's a very traditional film score. I mean, it's effective. It's sure. good. Sure. Um, but it is the least, the least daring, the least unique uh, sound I've seen them generate for a, a movie so far, but I'm not saying it's a bad thing. It's just, it works for this film for sure. Anything else would have been distracting. It wouldn't have worked. So,
2: right. Yeah. i would say to Sam Mendes, like a lot of his films have certain hallmarks that he does. There's, hallmarks of dinner table drama and or like in American beauty and in revolutionary road. And then there's there all these like these dinner table scenes. And in this one you have Olivia Coleman at one point in the apartment by herself and she's, it's a very mm. dinner table scene, which but later it's not a dinner table, but there are scenes in a break room of the theater that are like family gathered yeah, around it is. and there, and there are you know, a couple different times that happens and that's, I think that's important to see as kind of like a, a trademark of the dinner table scene being carried over to this. The wide open spaces, which you know Deakins does that, but also Sam Mendes likes kind of these open spaces. Then he'll also choose to do things like a lot of framing and windows, mm-hmm. and that carries on to Empire of Light as well. There's some, some shots using, which a lot of directors do. He's one of them, mirrors, and the different times he uses mirrors, specifically with Olivia Coleman. Uh, She, with Hillary, there's a bathroom mirror that has a medicine Mm -hmm. cabinet. And a return to that is important because it's, yeah, it's just meaningful. So it's shots that are neat, but they also are cool to look at from a cinematography perspective. But they also provide some narrative tidbits there. So little things that I think elevate this from just, for me, from being just a, oh, it's okay, to being a little there was something more there to kind of grab onto, but I can,
0: Oh no, no. Everything you're saying is correct for me too. I'm positive on this film. I liked it. did enjoy it. That's my misgiving with it. I just wish it congealed Hmm. a little better into something more of a cohesive story or something that's meant to carry away from this. And I just feel like it was just, let's touch on this. Let's touch on this. Let's touch on this. Let's touch on this. And then at the end we'll, try to have a big emotional moment in the theater. And I I just didn't know if that all paid off by the end, the way it was structured. Um, But look, look, I will, when this film comes out digital and I've got ability to show it, uh, watch it anytime I want to, I I may use some of my video editing skills to find a way to cut it down to just showing shots of the theater (laughs) exterior and interior and just making that into like a 15 minute film for me to watch anytime I Mm. want to it's that beautiful to watch. So it, I, I, it really is. Yeah.
2: Um, and just, there's the moment too, where in the beginning they kind of do some contrasting shots where, um, they show kind of an empty desolate and you think, Oh, this is like totally bygone. And then they cut to shots of all the lights being turned on. And you're like, oh, okay. Everything is happy. This is still a thriving theater. And then you come to learn, no, some of that sadness is this place used to be even grander Mm -hmm. than it is now. So kind of playing with perceptions of what they're showing you and how they're showing you things I thought was also interesting.
0: Agreed. Now that is empire of light. It had a, it had a relatively decent rollout. uh, Uh, I think in theaters, not every theater got a copy of it, but, um, it's still playing at places right now, probably for not terribly long. I imagine this one will be video on demand before, within the next couple months, uh, I would imagine. So uh, we're both positive on it. We're both saying there's definitely something good to see here. Um, I just wish it, I wish I had figured out more what to do with what it was trying to say by the end with all these different themes and ideas floating out there. Um, But overall, yes, definitely enjoyed it. And it sounds like you, you were a big fan as well. So yes. All right. So that is empire of light by Sam Mendes. Chris, let's take a quick little break. When we come back, we've just got several trailers we want to tease people about, some films that have been promoted uh, with some new trailers, films coming out over the next six to 12 months, I believe, that we want to go ahead and talk about and get you get your input on, as well as we have a recommendation to share from each of us at the end of the show. So stay tuned for that. And uh, this has been Foot Candle Films you're listening to so far. We'll be back in just a moment. Welcome back to Foot Candle Films here on the Mesh TV Podcast Network. Uh, we had our reviews of Avatar: The Way of Water and Empire of Light earlier in the show, but as promised, we're going to go into some where we typically talk about movie news. Sometimes we like to bring up a trailer or two and talk about it. But Chris, I don't really have a lot of news to share, so I thought maybe let's just talk trailers. Well, okay. We got four trailers. We're actually going to hit here and talk about four upcoming films that I'm curious thoughts on from you about what we're seeing so far. And are we excited about these films in any way, shape, or form? Let us start with the first one I want to bring up. It is the latest one from director Ari Aster. You may know he had that name from uh, Hereditary and also from Midsummer. Um, we talked about both of those films. I'm a fan of both films. Uh, I think both are very unique brand of horror that, stick with you. I think they had some interesting visuals. I think it was just, uh, an interesting performances on both of them as well. Uh, but it's a little more, what's, what's the word, what way to describe those two films, the type of horror it's, um, more psychological
2: horror yeah. necessarily than like jump scare. Horror. Right. Yeah, yeah yeah, um, yeah, yeah,
0: exactly. It's more menacing and dark foreboding than it is necessarily like jumping out, you know, uh, scare things which I liked a lot better. That's why I like his movie so much so far. And I'm curious about this one. This one's called Bo is Afraid, and it does star uh, Joaquin Phoenix. Seems to maybe be a tonal shift, but we'll see. We'll talk about it afterwards. Here's the trailer for Bo is Afraid.
2: I am so sorry
0: for what your daddy passed down to you. But I wanted a child. The greatest gift of my life. All right. So that is the trailer for Bo is Afraid coming out April. So here in about uh, two or three months, we get yeah. to look forward to that. Chris, your initial thoughts after seeing this trailer for Bo is Afraid. Are you afraid? <laughs> or are you excited?
2: Yeah, no, I'm excited that Ari Aster seems to be. Uh stepping a little bit out of the just straight out horror
0: sandbox straight out horror, although there are definitely some scenes and moments that make you wonder is this ultimately a horror film I, mean, I don't there's know th-
2: there's some yeah. weird imagery, yeah, um, but it seems like <laughs> it seems like if Tim Burton did a version of misery, maybe hmm. um <laughs> because there seems like there's a Bo gets captured get, he
0: gets hurt he gets kind of held hostage by some it seems like it
2: and he has but is, yes on like, a or,
0: on a journey to try to visit his mother it, maybe yes <laughs> so it,
2: yeah. but it does look like he is doing something really different
0: well if just so, visually if nothing else i mean there's a lot of scenes of bright colors and almost but you can't tell if it's meant to be over overly done meant to be more hallucinogenic or imaginary there's some scenes with animation, like some hand drawn or like stop motion animation might be involved. I love all that. So I am terribly excited for this film.
2: Me too. And you know, Joaquin Phoenix, I think, you know, Ari Aster he's had, he's had Florence Pugh and you know, he's, he gets good casts. So it'd be interesting to see Joaquin Phoenix, which, you know, he's done all different sorts of characters. It'd be interesting seeing him in this role. So what he can do with it. So
0: I am uh, very, very excited for that. So that's coming out in April. I'd be very curious to see what that ends up being like. All right. We have another trailer. Uh, This one, I think we can pretty much tell from this trailer exactly what type of film this is going to be. Okay. Um, This is the film Renfield. It is telling the story of Renfield from the Dracula story. So this is Dracula's assistant. I guess is what Renfield is. Sure. From the, from, the, from the original stories. But it seems to be in a more modern day setting. And we have from it. Um, <coughs> Sorry. Uh, Nicholas Holt playing, uh, playing Renfield. And a tortured aide to history's most narcissistic boss, Dracula, played by. Somebody you learn in the trailer if you're watching the if you watch the trailer. Now we're just going to play the audio. It may not be incredibly obvious who it is playing Dracula, but let's just play the trailer. See, see if you can guess.
2: <laughs> see if people can guess
0: who this is. So here we go. This is the film Renfield coming out also in April on April 14.
1: Sorry to interrupt. Are you okay? I need to get out of a toxic relationship. Why don't you start by telling us what brought you here? My boss, he's different. You can't get him
0: out of your head. No. I need your assistance. I'm coming, master. Oh, you feel like he could destroy you with the snap of his fingers. Wouldn't even need to snap. All right, that is Renfield. Um, If you could not tell, (laughs) Nicholas Cage is playing Dracula. I feel like that's a role he just... I can't believe we haven't seen a Dracula played by Nicolas Cage yet.
2: Not Dracula, but he did do something Vampire's Kiss, which was early. Oh, that's true. He did do a vampire so I don't very think early was, on. Yeah, very early. I actually haven't seen it, but well, he has.
0: Yeah. It just seems like this is the role oh, he. Yes. I'm surprised he did not play earlier. So Sure. Uh, Chris, with this, uh, I'm pulling up you know, director and all that, but. Uh, What's your initial thoughts on what you see on this?
2: Well, you know, I hope hope everything hasn't been ruined by the trailer. It yeah. looks completely enjoyable. Uh, we also heard a little bit. I think in the trailer, you might have picked out Aquafina's in it as well. Um, so you got Aquafina, you got Nicholas Holt, you got Nicholas Cage. I think it's it could be fun. It seems like they're playing it more for the I think action comedy playing more for, more and action. maybe just
0: laughs and yeah. thrills. It is directed by uh, Chris McKay. Okay. Who did the Lego Batman movie. Oh. And he directed a film The Tomorrow War, which I think was an Amazon movie with Chris... Uh, Chris Pratt. Chris Pratt. Okay. And the screenplay is by Ryan Ridley, who did uh, a lot of writing for the Rick and Morty TV series. Huh. So...
2: Okay. Kind of interesting. Oh, it's
0: based on an original idea by The Walking Dead and Invincible creator Robert Kirkman. I did not realize that. Robert Kirkman, a comic book writer who wrote The Walking Dead series... Okay. Uh, he's written several others, Invincible, which was made into a well, see, uh, animated series. That he, actually, that's his story. That
2: actually gives me a lot of hope because although I like the trailer, I like the actors involved, what does worry me a little bit is that this seems like this might have been something that came about because of the success of the film and then the subsequent TV series, What We Do in the Shadows, because it's kind of like taking vampires, putting them in modern day, and then poking fun at certain things that have... So, it's good to hear they're like, no, this is something that's been worked on a while. It kind of is running independent of what we do in the shadows so that that's that that actually gives me a lot of a lot of hope that there's a little bit more genesis than they're just like, oh, let's rip off what we do in the shadows. <laughs> so um, I'm I'm excited. I, I do yeah. hope that it wasn't. I do hope that a lot of that hasn't been spoiled by the trailer, though, but you, you never can tell. I feel like the a so.
0: trailer. I mean, I, I, again, I haven't seen the film, so I can't say in retrospect, but. I feel like the trailer might have given away too many
2: interesting
0: scenes. Sure. That I hope I hope there's more to it than what we saw there. So, no, I'm looking forward to it just because it'll be a lot of fun. So, hopefully, mm-hmm. so. Um, All right, let me just change gears a little bit. We've been talking kind of little genre films, a little uh, director-driven films with Bo is afraid that we're excited about. Let's go to one, Chris. That. You and I probably would not have on our radar to be watching, but I do think it's, I think it's going to be a big movie. Okay. Okay. I'm interested. My prediction.
2: To, okay. Alan says, if you recall
0: the, when we were growing up, the Judy Bloom series of books that sure. were mostly, mostly y- young girls uh, reading, but I mean, it was pretty universal books. I, I be, read
2: Freckle Juice. Yeah. yeah.
0: Super fudge. All right. So Are You There, God? It's Me, Margaret. Kind didn't didn't read that Kind of the quintessential one, but- <laughs> This is one that uh, is, I'm surprised it's never been made into a movie before. Okay. This is a book from the 70s, right? I mean, we were kids when yeah, it came out. early 80s, something out. like that. Sure. Um, very beloved book. Kind of surprised with every book that seems to already be adapted into a movie that this one hasn't been made into one. But this one we do have coming up. It is, <coughs> excuse me, I have been fighting off a cold uh, for last week and my throat is now super raw from it. So my apologies there. The thing that kind of caught my attention to this, it is produced by James L. Brooks. Okay. Who uh, you may know from Terms of Endearment, uh, um, About Schmidt. Um, producer of The Simpsons. Producer of The Simpsons. What's the other one he did with Jack Nicholson? Um,
2: about, not about Schmidt. Uh, but as also good as it gets. As good as it gets. Yeah. yeah.
0: So some of these films, he's he's now a producer on this film as well. So okay. Starring Rachel McAdams. Um, let's take a listen. And Benny Safdie is in it. <laughs> Kathy Bates is in it, you know. Billy
2: safety popping up in Licorice Pizza and yeah. Popping, like yeah, interesting cast. Interesting
0: choices he makes in uh yeah. acting, so. Uh so here we go. Here's the trailer for Are You There God It's Me Margaret. Are you
2: there God?
1: It's me Margaret. I'm here to speak to you today about your changing body. The blood is released through the vagina.
2: Please, just do this one thing for me. Let me just be normal and regular like everybody else. Just please, 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 please.
0: All right. That is also coming out in April. So April's got a lot of movies coming out that we're previewing here. Chris, initial thoughts. I mean, again, not not a film that you and I typically have up on our radar, but, um, you know, uh, a beloved book, a, uh, a, a a book we're familiar with, or at least know of. Um, thoughts?
2: Yeah, I think, I think it looks like it could be a, um, you know, it's hard to say a feel-good coming-of-age story, because obviously the protagonist, the girl in it is Margaret, is going to be struggling. But, yeah, I, I could see how, after watching the trailer, you've got Rachel McAdams as a mom. You've got Kathy Bates, I guess, as her mom. Um, Seems to be. so you have like generations of women and like, and it is a throwback because it looks like it takes place in kind of the period time period. It was set in like the eighties mm-hmm. or whatever. So they're not trying or to late
0: seventies or late seventies. Yeah. They're
2: not trying to make it like a modern 2020, right. 2023. No. Um, yeah, I think it looks interesting. Um, I will say too, a lot of the movie probably, and I did not catch her name cause it went by really fast will hinge on how good the girl who is portraying Margaret and it said introducing. So I'm thinking it is one of her first roles, but it, yeah, it does look like it's going to be pretty good. I think it can uh, be one of those things that might kind of surprise people because it's not going to have the marketing of a Renfield or it's not going to have a marketing of like a Marvel movie, but word of mouth could come out and be like, yeah, you know, it's good. And you, you know, it's, yeah, I think it. I think it could be a winner for. It's uh, Abby
0: Ryder Fortson is right. the uh, young young actress playing Margaret. So, I, I, my prediction. I think this is going to be big, like big in terms of box office wise for this type of movie. I sure. think it's going to be um, one that a lot of. I mean, just you know, all the films, even looking at the trailers we're showing today, leave out a a, a genre, leave out a segment of population. Women's stories, Women's yeah. story, young women's stories, and I think there's enough enthusiasm out there for people to see, see this on film. So I don't know. I'm predicting it's going to be a, one of those big pleasant surprises when it comes to being released, not only in how good it's going to be, but also how popular it will be. That's my prediction. We'll see if we're right in a few months. Um, last one we'll show going completely the other direction. Uh, Chris, I've never been the biggest David Cronenberg fan. I'm not like someone who seeks out his films actively. I will say I love The Fly, the uh, remake of The Fly he did with Jeff Goldblum and Jenna Davis. That's one of my favorite films. I do love it, but I have to watch it when I'm in a certain mood (laughs) and uh, not to be disgusted by what I see. Sure. Film. Sure. Uh, He does have a tendency to make some very shocking films. There's a lot of many of his films deal with different forms of body horror. I never saw the latest one he did, Crimes of the Future. Which I did
2: catch up with. You did
0: catch up with. Um, something I should watch on a full stomach or no? So.
2: <laughs> yeah, it, it, it per tried and true David Cronenberg type film. Yeah, probably not on a full stomach yeah. and not if you're squeamish because yeah, there's plenty of body horror.
0: Well, uh, what's interesting is that his son has actually started making films now. So his son, uh, gosh, I already forgot is the Brendan, first name. it Brendan? Brendan. Cronenberg. He's made already. He already did one, which I think was Possessor.
2: Yes, which I saw. Which did have its own little share body horror. It was interesting kind of about getting in other people's heads and yeah, it was really random, but yeah, kind of uh, the odd type sci-fi type Mm. thing that you would associate with a film by somebody with the last name Cronenberg.
0: Well, we have, I guess it'd be his second movie if I'm counting correctly, if I'm not forgetting some smaller films he might've done before possessor, but uh, a second film coming out called infinity pool. It is coming out. Oh, let's see if I can find the date. I don't have a date for this one. But it's a 2023
2: release, I think.
0: It'll be yeah. definitely this year. I just don't know if it's as soon as April or if it's a little further out.
2: And it may also have its premiere at uh, Sundance in, here in January. Could be. So.
0: But we have Alexander Skarsgård, uh, Cleopatra Coleman, and Mia Goth all in this film here. Let's uh, just take a look at the trailer. I actually haven't watched this trailer yet. So okay. I don't think you have either, right? I haven't. But I, you know, Mia Goth seems
2: to be somebody who's kind of growing in people's estimation she From had two films X out last Pearl, year right, yeah. right. Yeah. and i'm always i like a scars guard so. yeah I
0: like, I like a scars guard <laughs> we need t-shirts saying that so there you go. all right here we go this is the trailer for infinity pool
2: i don't understand why we're doing this we barely know these people
0: it's one day let's mix things up a bit
2: <laughs> yeah. you're just happy you found your fan club I've been reading six years for your
1: second book. Is it coming
0: out soon? Okay. So I'm going to go ahead and go out on a limb and say it doesn't look he's veering too far away from <laughs> uh, what he did with Possessor and what his father has done with films as well. So
2: it, You know, it looks to me kind of like a hybrid between Possessor and Crimes of the Future. Yeah. It looks like a like a yeah, mashup between those two. So. Yeah, I'm interested it definitely has all the hallmarks of the visual visual stylization of both he and his father and the definitely looks like there's some body horror stuff going oh, on. Oh yeah.
0: I was Sarah. curious about a third about a halfway through the trailer whether it was gonna go in that direction. And it definitely does. So um uh, I'm intrigued, but I'm gonna have to kind of wait and just hear how difficult to watch it is before I, I jump into that one. So
2: Yeah. Mia Goth though. She seems like she's really coming into her own, like getting a lot of roles. So good. Good for
0: her. Well, I mean, look, I'm always for a, a unique story being told and this one does seem to be very unique. So I'll give it that as well. So right away, four interesting films coming up all within, I'd say the next six months, three of them are definitely in April. We already know that, uh, infinity pool. I'll have to look up and see when is infinity pool coming? Hold on just a second. This is one of the joys of being (laughs) here with a laptop in front of me as we do the show. I'll be able to look up right away and let you know that Infinity Pool is coming out. And I almost have it. Almost. (laughs)
2: Will you go see it in the theater? That's the question. Oh,
0: oh, it's January. Oh, wow. This month in Canada. So it's already kind of starting to roll out in the next few weeks.
2: All
1: right.
0: Okay. Very, very interesting selection of films there. Okay, so as always, before we get to our recommendation, if you have some interesting trailers or films coming up in the next uh, several months, you think we ought to be talking about or profiling a little bit, we'd be happy to do it. Just drop us a note. Chris will tell us at the end of the show how to do that. So, Chris, let's wrap up the show with our recommendations for the episode. You and I both come up with a recommendation to share um, of something that we either just caught up with or maybe a new film that kind of snuck under the radar for a lot of people. Or maybe one that just needs to be revisited from from uh, yesterday year. Chris, I'll let you go first. What uh, what do you have to share with us today recommendation wise?
2: So I'm going to recommend a 2022 film. See how they run. I'll tell you the plot description here in the West End of 1950s London plans for a movie version of a smash hit play come to an abrupt halt after a pivotal member of the crew is murdered. When world-weary Inspector Stoppard and eager rookie Constable Stalker take on the case, the two find themselves thrown into a puzzling who-done-it within the glamorously sordid theater underground, investigating the mysterious homicide at their own peril. So, sounds kind of interesting, hopefully. I, I will say the two, the Inspector and the Constable here, are played by Sam Rockwell and Saoirse Ronan. Also in the film is somebody you might recognize, Adrian Brody it's this film and David Oello. This film came out, I think in October, November and was, I feel like was kind of overshadowed by another film you might've heard of called glass onion, (laughs) Uh, (laughs) Ryan Johnson's glass onion, which did have a brief theatrical run and then went to Netflix. But, um, I, I caught up with it. It is currently streaming on HBO max. So it is, to me, it's the perfect fun, rainy day, watching a movie on the couch kind of film. It's, it's nothing too heavy. You just kind of let it wash over you. But it's it's a good time. It's fun. It has elements of – so it is a murder mystery, but it has a lot of, you know, jokes going on in it. So it's it's just a good time. So um, I'm going to recommend it, See How They Run, and it's uh, <coughs> streaming on HBO Max.
0: Well, I was curious about this one because it looked like – I mean, I, I like Sam Rockwell, I like Sharon, and I, I I like a good little mystery-type movie. I was curious when I saw the trailers for this one come out. I think maybe we even showed this trailer on an episode. We might about have. It. Yeah. Yeah. But it just really came and went so quickly, and I heard nobody talking about it when it came out. So it's nice to hear that it's worth kind of checking out and revisiting. I mm-hmm. think
2: it's one of those songs we've kind of talked about where kind of like Confess Fletch, where they just don't feel like they want to put all the money into having a theatrical release. But the problem is then they just spit it out streaming or something. And a lot of people don't see it or hear about it. It falls by the wayside, which is why you have a show like Foot Candle Films, where we can call things yeah, out that I'm you may not have heard of otherwise. So,
0: Yeah. I uh, Yeah, great. I'm glad, you, I'm glad you caught up with that one. That one was one I was curious about. So now I've added it back to my watch list as well. Um, Chris, you always have like newer films you've checked out or ones that people haven't heard of and great recommendations to share. I, I'm not always that fortunate. I, I typically have to rely on some very old tried and true recommendations. Ones that people are going to be like, uh, well, yeah, duh. Of course that's a recommendation. (laughs) That's a good movie. But I, my job, I guess is to help remind us of some of those films. That's what I try to do with my recommendations. I, I had the fun over the holidays. Uh, my son is home from school. We, we spent most of the holidays going through a watch list for him of films mm. that he's identified on his own letterbox watch, watch list of here's some films I want to see. He just ones he's never caught up with. And when I looked at his list, there's about 14 films on there. Like I picked out eight or nine of them. I said, okay, we're going to hit these eight or nine during the holidays. We can watch these together. Nice. And so we, we not through a good part of the list. Okay. One of them he had on his list was Peter Weir's dead post society. Ah, And this is a film I, I've i seen several times. I saw it in the movie theater when it first came out back in 89. We have a poster of it hanging in the we office. We do have a poster of it in the office. Um, this was during the uh, Robin Williams heyday where he was in. You know, he went through periods of his his career. He had his early Robin Williams type, where he was definitely playing more for laughs. It was more the comedic roles with the exception of World According to Garp. Then he kind of went through his little more, I don't want to say serious period, but where he started to become known as a better actor. Right. This was kind of at the peak of that. I'm Robin Williams. I'm teetering between being a comedy icon and getting into serious roles. And before he got into like uh, Good Will Hunting down the road and some got other you. ones he did. This is the one of the first movies I remember people. I think people got kind of, I can, I can say this because I was one of those people. Uh, got brought into the theater thinking it was going to be more comedic than it was. Because I even think the trailers, I remember, really played up Robin Williams' classroom antics, his Mm. doing impersonations and doing a bigger personality uh, acting. So I remember I went on a date to see this. Uh, The girl I was with said she wanted to see something funny. This had Robin Williams in it. I'm like, oh, cool. Let's go see this. And it's not funny. I mean, it has humorous moments but it's not a comedy by any stretch of the imagination um so that date didn't go terribly well from that (laughs) standpoint but this is a movie that definitely stuck with me and i've revisited several times so i had the uh, pleasure of seeing it with my son and i was curious when i when i queued it up is this going to hold up because Mm. robin williams his comedy stylings you know I, i think some people may have Grown a little tired of them after later in his career and his movie career. Uh, plus it's been so much time since his death. Now it's like sure. a chance to kind of go back and see, does this still hold up as a, not only a great Robin Williams performance, but just a good movie in general. Mm. Sure. And I'm very happy to say, yeah, it does absolutely hold up on all the fronts. I think it's a beautiful movie. I think it's a beautiful story. Tragic, but yet, um, uh, but, but uplifting story in a way. I mean, it's, it just has it all going for it. Um, A lot of young actors. uh, We have a, you know, a very early, uh, uh, Ethan Mm -hmm. Hawke, one of his first, uh, first roles, earliest roles anyway. Uh, You have some other actors that you kind of recognize and really you've seen them as adults now as well. I'm trying Josh Charles is another actor that we've seen in a lot more adult roles, but getting to see them as kind of teenage roles, um, which is such a, a really great story, a story that actually is very timely. I was kind of reminded as I watched it, how timely this film is now with cancel culture and some Mm -hmm. other elements of finding people that we feel like are hurting our society and kind of outcasting them or, or laying a spotlight on them. It's very much a very early tale of that with this particular Mm. professor that uh, Robin Williams plays in this film. So all that to say, I think it's a great movie. It's still emotionally trying film uh, just as much as it was back in 89. So I do caution you on that a little bit. It is something that you kind of have to you know getting into. There's some heavy subject matter being dealt with in the film for sure. But uh, Peter Weir was a great, I mean, he's a great director anyway, but this was at a peak of his work as well too. I think where he was just putting out some really amazing films and uh, dead Poet society is still one of my favorites and still, happy to say it still, still holds up uh, this many years later. So I take it. I mean, I know you've seen, the film I, I have
2: seen movie. it and I would, I would like to revisit it because okay. I haven't seen it in a while, but it, it is one that I have always liked. Yeah. So.
0: It's a good movie. All right. So that is the post society for mine. And then see how they run is the recommendation from Chris, both available to watch online rental or streaming in some places. Uh, very easily. So, All right, Chris, well, I think we are done. We have had our reviews of Avatar, The Way of Water, and Empire of Light. Shared some trailers for Bo is Afraid, Renfield, Are You There, God, It's Me, Margaret, and Infinity Pool. And we had our recommendations as well. If anybody has anything to add to the conversation, either trailers they think we ought to check out or films coming up that they're interested in, maybe their own takes on Avatar, maybe telling us how we're wrong, and there was a lot more Development and character mm. growth and emotion that we didn't tap into? Or Empire of Light, if they love the, the theater uh, moments of that film just as much as we did, uh, how can they get a hold of us and join in the conversation?
2: You can send your term paper on Avatar The Way of Water to info at footcandle.org. We get our emails there, so send one if you like. You can also follow us on Twitter at footcandlefilm. Alan and I are on Letterboxd, where we track what we're seeing. We try to leave short reviews every once in a while. Do us a favor give us a star rating, write a review, share with friends, on whatever service you receive your favorite podcasts on. It'll help us reach new listeners. We'd appreciate it. And the 2023 Foot Candle Film Festival is going to be in September. It'll be from the 18th to the 24th. So if you're in Western North Carolina, we're going to be hosting it here in Hickory once again. It will be our ninth uh, Foot Candle Film Festival. Wow. So Come and check it out.
0: Nine years, man. Yes. Nine years. Consider State, that
2: a save the date announcement. <laughs> yeah, there you go.
0: Save the date. Uh, lots more to come about that as the months go on, but definitely go ahead and block off that weekend or week in the calendar. And uh, I say, Chris, I'll even up at it. You said if you happen to be in Western North Carolina, come spend it. I say, no, no. Come to Western, come North, to Carolina. Western North Carolina. Make it a point. Come visit and travel here. It's a beautiful part of the country, this time of year especially. We look forward to a great film festival this, this fall. All right, Chris, we're going to go and wrap it up. Thanks everybody for watching. We're listening to Foot Candle Films and we will look forward to talking to you next time we get together. Thanks everyone. See you in the ticket line.
1: Special thanks to Carpel Taller for the show theme music. For more about Carpel Taller, visit www.carpeltaller.com. You've been listening to The Mesh, an online media network of shows and programs ranging from business to arts, sports to entertainment, music to community. All programs are available on the website as well as through iTunes and YouTube.